For those of us remaining in this space, we're going to open our Bibles to Psalm 103, and we will read the chapter in its entirety. This is the word of the Lord. Of David, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us as a father has compassion on his children so the lord has compassion on those who fear him for he knows how we are formed he remembers that we are dust the life of mortals is like grass they flourish like a flower of the field The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you bow with me for a word of prayer? Lord, we do give you thanks for your word, for us, your people. And we give you thanks uh, for a a unique opportunity to gather on a Wednesday night to meet as brothers and sisters in Christ and to meet with you. Thank you, Lord, for your presence among us. And my request, God, is that you would bind my lips and my tongue that you would not permit a false word to pass from them. Even move me aside completely. For Holy Spirit, you have the benefit of being able to skip the ears and speak straight to our hearts. So we open ourselves to your work in us this evening. It's in great love that we pray. Amen. 
So there's a thought exercise that I think we've all come across at some point or another. It takes many forms and fashions, but the heart of it goes something like this. Imagine that you got a call from the doctor and you found out that you had 24 hours left to live. How would you spend your time? This is such an interesting thought exercise. It tends to be a revelatory experience. It reveals what matters most to a person. And the reason it does that is because being confronted with the reality of our mortality, and you can try to say that five times fast later, has a reorienting impact. Being confronted with the reality of our mortality tends to let things that don't truly matter fade from focus and things that matter most take center stage in our lives and in our hearts. It's a really interesting thought exercise. I I spent uh, a few moments this week scanning the internet, reading, reading dozens and dozens of people's answers. And you might be thinking about what your answer is to this thought exercise. Uh, And I noticed two common through lines. Amongst a wide array of responses, there were two things that were consistent. The first is this. What matters most to most people is relationships. I'll tell you what my answer is. If I found out I had 24 hours left to live, what I would do is I would gather with my family in my house. Maybe a few of my most intimate friends could trespass upon some of those moments. And I would do everything I could to savor every last moment of connection with those people who matter most to me. Maybe your answer is similar. The, the second through line that I found, and I, whenever I came across this one, I knew that this person had really done the exercise well. They have a really good imagination, and they were able to truly enter into the experience at like an emotional level. And, and the answer was this, that there is one relationship that objectively matters most to all of us. It's our relationship with God. The second common through line that I found in responses, and I imagine is represented here in this room, is that if you found out you had 24 hours left to live, you would do everything in your power to make sure that you were right with God. Mortality has a reorienting experience, and it it tends to cause us to reorient our lives. We've all heard the story of the atheist in the airplane, right? Who one moment is preaching, how could you be so stupid to believe in a higher power? And the next moment as the plane is crashing is crying out, Jesus, save me. Mortality has a reorienting effect. And I have a confession to make to you, church, and I know I'm in good company, so I have absolutely no hesitation making this confession. Over the past year of my life, I have not lived my life oriented around my relationship with the Lord. I have allowed lesser loves to sit in God's seat in my heart and in my life. I know I'm not alone in that. 
And I'm so grateful for Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is kind of like the church calendar's parallel version of this thought exercise that we've been talking about. Every year, we gather together on Ash Wednesday to receive ashes on our forehead, not because there's any magic in the ashes, but as an act of remembrance. We look our mortality dead in the face in order to reorient our lives around what matters most. I'm so thankful for Ash Wednesday that sends us forth into Lent because it's a thought exercise that I need in my life with Jesus. Psalm 103, I think, is a beautiful text for Ash Wednesday. Uh, It's a beautiful text all year round. It's one of the most beautiful psalms, in my opinion, in all of Scripture. And if you go down a list of the most famous psalms, it might only be behind like Psalm 23, maybe Psalm 1, Psalm 51. And and if I didn't say your favorite psalm, I'm sorry, but it's going to be way up at the top of the list. Psalm 103 is so beautiful. I wish we had hours and hours to reflect on it together, but we don't. But I think it's exceptionally beautiful for Ash Wednesday because it invites us into this thought exercise. The way that David puts it in Psalm 103 uh, in verses 15 and 16 is this. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. What the psalmist is saying in verses 15 and 16 is this. You are going to die. Your life is like a blade of grass. The wind blows over it, and not only is it gone in a moment, it's gone so much so that its place doesn't even remember its existence. This is what your life is like as a mortal. But I love Psalm 103 because as we come face-to-face with our mortality, we become exposed to a threat. We become exposed to a temptation, a temptation to believe a lie. You see, Ash Wednesday isn't just for the sake of Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday sends us forth into Lent, a journey through Lent leading up to Holy Week and Easter Sunday. And when you come forward in a few minutes to receive ashes, you'll receive ashes on your forehead in the sign of a cross, and you'll have this liturgy spoken of over you. Remember, from dust you came to dust you shall return. Remember that your life is like a blade of grass. But it doesn't stop there. There's a so that's implied, a reorientation that's implied. And, and the liturgy continues in this way. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. For almost 2,000 years, the church has engaged in this practice of observing Ash Wednesday and Lent. And the way that the church always has engaged with this season is to engage with it through practices of the Christian faith, specifically fasting, prayer, confession of sin. To repent means to turn away from. The invitation in light of your mortality, the reorientation, is to turn away from the lesser loves that have been sitting in first place in your heart and turn 
towards God. And we do that over a season of Lent. But there is a temptation that we're exposed to, a lie that we're offered to believe. When we go into a season of confession of sin, we're invited by the devil to believe this lie. And it's a lie I've struggled to disbelieve all my life. It goes something like this for me, and maybe it'll sound kind of familiar to you. You know, your sin is really bad. And it's so bad that you should be ashamed of yourself. And what you have to do from here is you have to do everything you can to work your way back into God's graces. And there's a temptation for us to walk into a season of Lent with that posture. I'm going to fast. I'm, I'm going to give up my caffeinated drinks. I'm going to give up my chocolate. I'm going to give up eating meat on whatever day of the week you want to give it up. There is a temptation to do all these things to work your way back into God's good graces. And hopefully by the end of the 40 days, you can be worthy of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. But I love Psalm 103 for Ash Wednesday because it especially, of all the Ash Wednesday texts, anticipates that lie and presents to us the truth, the antidote to the lie. We're going to walk through Psalm 103 for just a couple of moments and point out some of the wonderful truths contained therein. David writes this, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Well, what are the benefits of the Lord? David answers, he forgives all your sins. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. And get this, crowns you with love and compassion. Think about that for a minute. Who is it that's crowning you with love and compassion? It's the king. The king who sits on the throne, who wears the crown, is pouring out his love and compassion on you in such a way as though he were placing a crown Upon your brow. The benefits of the Lord continue. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. In verse 8 continues, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And hear the imagery in this. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. This is in ancient Israel. There were no telescopes. As high as the heavens are above the earth was infinite. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Speaking of infinite, as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. 
And then Psalm 103 takes an interesting turn in this thought exercise. It gives the explanation for why the Lord is willing to give you these benefits. Why the king of the universe is willing to crown you with love and compassion. Verse 13 and 14 say this. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Why? For he knows how we are formed. And get this. He remembers that we are dust. Such a beautiful Ash Wednesday text. You say, well, Pastor Zach, aren't I supposed to be the one remembering that I'm dust? Don't you say to me, remember, from dust you came to dust you shall return. Repent and believe the gospel. Yes, you are to remember that. But you're not to continue into a season of Lent, striving to work your way back into God's good graces. On the contrary, you're not the only one who remembers your dust. I think that Psalm 103 presents a twist on the thought exercise of looking our mortality in the face, if you'll allow me a little bit of imaginative, creative space. Imagine that you get that phone call from the doctor. But in this scenario, the doctor doesn't say your name. No, in this scenario, you are the parent of a beautiful, beloved, innocent young child. And instead of your test results and your name, the doctor says, I don't know how to tell you this, so I'll just get right to it. It's not good. Your child has 24 hours left to live. And if you receive that phone call, then the thought exercise is not how would you spend your time only. The question becomes, what would be the posture of your heart towards that child? I think that's the picture that Psalm 103 is trying to paint for us. Not only do we remember that we're dust, not only do we look our mortality in the face, but the Lord as a father who has compassion on his children looks the mortality of his beloved children in the face. I got to see this lived out in my community a few years back. There was a man who got to walk with the Lord through this in a unique way. He faced the mortality of his son, not for 24-hour notice, but through his son's cancer diagnosis. When I tell you that a father crowned his son with love and compassion to the point that it was embarrassing to the son... When I tell you that there was nothing this son 
could ask for that would elicit a no from his dad. The Lord satisfies your desires with good things. When I tell you there was nothing this son could do to make his dad stay angry or annoyed with him or, or hold his sins against him, no act of disobedience that could rise up anger within his father, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Brothers and sisters, as you walk into this season of Lent, as you come forward and remember that you are dust, as you're invited into a space of confessing your sin, of looking your mortality dead in the eye and making sure that you're right with God, you're not invited to do that by striving to earn his good graces. You're invited to do that as those who have received all the grace he has to give already. For when our Heavenly Father was confronted with our mortality, he looked his own son in the face and looked at his own son's immortality and exchanged it for mortality, that we might exchange our mortality for life eternal. As you come this evening in a few moments, yes, remember that you are dust. But also remember that the Lord remembers you are dust. He remembers when he formed you from the dust of the earth and breathed into you the breath of life. Let us pray. God, our Father, it's almost too good to be true. And yet it is true. And so as we together as a church family walk into this season of Lent, of reorientation, of turning our lives around to focus our hearts on what matters most. Guard our hearts. Guard our hearts against the lie that would lead us into striving, into earning, Help us to believe the gospel as we repent. The good news that says there is nothing we could ever do to earn your love and forgiveness, and yet we have it anyway. Watch over us this Lenten season as a father who has compassion and love on his children. Remember how we are formed, God, and have mercy.